from Moses, the Midwest Organic and Sustainable Education Service, this is the In Her Boots podcast, a show about women cultivating the sustainable and organic agriculture movement and how she does it. My name is Lisa Kiverest, and I founded and lead the award-winning Moses In Her Boots project, providing training, resources, and support for women farmers. I'm a farmer myself, running in serendipity with my family in Wisconsin, and am the author of Soil Sisters, a toolkit for women farmers. The In Her Boots podcast celebrates the collaborative spirit of us women farmers and all women working to transform our food system and steward our land, sharing ideas and inspiration with each other. Whether you're a woman with a dream of starting your own farm or already have your hands deep in the soil, there's something for you here. Be sure to subscribe so you won't miss anything. Join us today for another conversation with farmer Claire Hintz of Elsewhere Farm as she shares her insights and inspiration on how to use cover crops for livestock forage. Take a bird's eye view of her farm and her American guinea hogs, perennial tree and shrub fruits, and other things she does to add soil fertility and pest control. Claire Hintz runs Elsewhere Farm, a production permaculture farm near the south shore of Lake Superior in Herbster, Wisconsin. The solar-powered farm features perennial fruits and nuts interplanted on five acres, intensive market gardens, and rare breed pigs and chickens. She also serves on the Moses board. Note, these are bonus episodes with Claire, focusing on risk management topics. Check out podcast episodes 40 to 43 for more on her farm story. We are here again with Claire Hintz of Elsewhere Farm up in the the northern hinterland, shall we call that? The the, the beautiful north of uh, Wisconsin, where she has a diversified farm, where she does vegetables and animals and all kinds of other things. And we wanted to get a little specific in this episode with you, Claire, on cover crops and how you use them for forage for your livestock. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's a specific topic, however, uh, it fits into your broader systems thinking ecosystem mm-hmm. approach, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, cover crops play such an important role. We just don't often think of them, perhaps initially think of them more with soil nutrients than yeah. forage. So, right. yeah. so if you could give us a, a if, we, if we were flying over your farm, what would we see as far as different cover crops and... Yeah. We can take things from there. Yeah, sounds good. Yeah, well, um, a, a, a bird's eye view of the farm would show that I have a cluster of uh, market gardens that are fenced and then broader pastures for uh, a new enterprise for the farm in the last couple of years, which is that I raise American guinea hogs. And they're a pasture pig. They do really well out on grass or mixed forbs. And they are an essential part of my perennial rotation. So I raise uh, perennial tree fruits and shrub fruits, and they're a critical part of adding fertility to the soil in the right seasons. Uh, Also pest control. So because they're consuming a lot of the understory material, they're um, devastating (laughs) apple pests and pear pests, insect pests. This particular breed of pig does not root very deeply um, and so that's uh, a, an aspect where where they fit really well in my perennials. And also, I want to think very carefully about what forage I create for them um, t- to fit their particular lifestyle habits, shall we say. So you'll see various paddocks. And what I've been doing over the last couple of years is trying to find a right mix in the different paddocks for the different parts of the season 
where um, they can gain the most weight. Um, they have the most um, nutritional diversity in their feed. Um, I'm supplementing a little bit with uh, organic grain, but to, to the extent that I can reduce that even further by having a good rotation of forages, that's saving me money, um, that's building soil, that is um, helping the pig's nutrition, which um, increases or, or decreases the risk of other parasites that they can get. Uh, so um, that's been my experimentation for the last couple of years. And so I'm excited to talk about, you know, managing the risk. Both, you know, I, I would think about the risk as both uh, production risk. So you don't want to lose weight gain for those animals. Uh, particularly these particular animals are uh, endangered breed pigs. And they're endangered because they grow more slowly than other breeds of pigs. They're a smaller pig. And so my hanging weight is smaller. And so I have a lot, I pack a lot of punch in a small animal. And I have an excellent market for them, but uh, I don't want to, I'm, I'm, I want to be pretty tight about weight, you know, the way that they gain weight, um, not too much weight. And, um, and then also think about how um, I can um, supplement my purchased feed with, with the forages. So that's what I've been working on. So there's a cost savings to all of it's this. It's a cost too. savings. Yep, absolutely. And, um, and a health savings in the sense that the pigs are, the more diversity of forage that I can get the pigs, the more healthy they are and the happier they are. And uh, you can taste that in the meat. <laughs> that, it, it sounds like, too, that there's a planning stage to all of this. Oh, yeah. And record keeping. Oh, and yeah. Yeah, experimenting. lots of record keeping and experimenting. So for folks who may be a little bit aware of the um, pastured movement, intensively grazed um, animals, pigs and cattle, sheep, there's a lot of great resources out there about those animals in those systems. There's a lot less written about pigs, <laughs> and particularly these pigs, because they are, as I mentioned, grazing animals rather than rooting animals. And so a lot of it's just been experimenting with them. Um, and my and so there's some strategies we can talk about, you know, about how to do that and manage the risk of that experimentation while you're trying to raise a product that you're selling. So oh sure yeah, yeah let's, we, let's 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 to just dive Let's into root that. in there. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I want to talk about pilot projects first. Um, I um, sort of didn't take my own advice. Uh, it, <laughs> <Do> we always? <laughs> <laughs> um, I was excited to get a, a larger animal for my farm. Uh, primarily, been mostly plants up until that point. Had chickens for a while. Wanted to move up to a larger animal. Um, and I had a neighbor who had uh, piglets available, so I adopted four of them. And I was just starting to experiment with rotational grazing with them. Um, and I didn't really have a particularly diverse pasture at the time, but I could see what they were preferring to eat at different times of the season, how much impact four pigs could have in a particular amount of area of these of this particular breed. Um, and so that was helpful information. I wasn't, I, I was, I was gearing up to another pilot like that when my other neighbor decided she was moving and, and basically sold her entire pig herd. And so I adopted breeding animals, a boar, which meant a lot more complicated rotation because I'm moving all these animals and they have to be separate in different paddocks. Oh. And so um, it's pushed, you know, certainly pushed the limits of my pastures. Um, you know, one step ahead of them on the fencing side of things. But what it gave me was a really great opportunity to really test different forages. So 
Um, they um, took all of the invasive reed canary grass out of my fields um, because they mowed it so heavily. Wow. <laughs> and so um, it was sort of an accidental discovery that I could rehabilitate some of my pastures and knock back the reed canary grass. And then just looking at the timing of those animals. And so that's, let me back up, that's a successional part of the process. Um, they mowed down those paddocks. I would not do that with them now. I want a higher grass and forb stand before they move, you know, out. Um, and they're not meant to mow it down that far, you know, when you have an excellent rotation of, of paddocks. They're, you want it a lot taller. You want the stand a lot taller. But in the initial stage, I was basically starting over without ever having to till my land. And then I could add uh, cover crop seed um, in there. And so you didn't till. I did not till uh -huh. any of the paddocks and um, was able to incorporate a lot more clovers, um, some root crops, threw in some daikon radish, um, field peas and oats, just a whole diversity of uh uh, plants. And then I could see, you know, what, again, what they wanted at different times of the seasons. So, you know, as I move forward with the experimentation, it's trying to figure out, you know, well, at this point in the year, the growth rates are starting to slow down for these plants, but I can add other plants into the system at that point. So, you know, bottom line, number one strategy, pilot stuff small before you grow, <laughs> and then um, just make sure you start out with a really diverse collection of cover crops so you can see what the animals select and see what they select at different times. And it's, it goes back to trusting that the animal has really important body wisdom and they're going to choose what's best for their health. Any, any good um, cattle grazer knows this and has watched his cattle um, teach, teach young calves, you know, what herbs to eat at different times of year for the right minerals and things like that. Um, I can say that my pigs uh, this time of year have pretty much decimated the dandelion population in my orchards, and they've even gone after comfrey root. Um, that's an understory in my in my apple orchard. Um, they haven't wiped it out, but they have they have um, enjoyed some of the, the roots. And so things that I wouldn't have expected um, uh, have shown up as long as I observe, you know, what they're doing. And so that's my third strategy that I just can't emphasize enough is make sure you're observing your animals when you're looking at forage, forage crops. Um, there's plenty of research, like I said, out about forage crops, um, but your particular climate, the rate of growth in any particular year, if you have more wet or more dry, um, it's just really critical to watch your own animals and you're going to have a very unique um, mineral profile for your farm soil, and that will change what they want to eat. And so it's really important to tailor um, those mixes to your particular set of animals um, and climate situation. And then also build in the redundancy of, well, this year it's a super wet year, and uh, that's going to mean a different collection of plants. And if it's perennials in my, in my paddocks, then um, some of them are going to do better in one year versus the other. And having that diversity, that underlying diversity, allows one or the other to thrive in any given year. And um, so, you know, at this point, I'm weathering weeks of <laughs> rain. And then, you know, it may be a drought from July and August, and we get no rain at all at this point. You know, climate extremes are a reality. And so the more we can diversify the paddock, not only does it man manage the... the um, quality of forage for the animals, but it manages your financial risk too. So the animals are going to put on weight no matter what the weather is doing, you know, and I might get hail that wipes out my strawberries, but there's still bacon in the freezer.
So that's great. So the it sounds that this idea of using cover crops for forage isn't risky in the sense of it adds value no matter what. The the key variable as a farmer to remember is to be hands on like you are, right? To keep observing. Yep. You don't just plant yep. something and forget about it. Yeah, and there's kind of a a fine tune. So f- I'm I'm learning this for the pigs, uh, and I am I'm aware that this is the case for cattle as well. There's a there's a step of um, going from um, having your animals out on pasture, rotational grazing, um, small paddocks where you're moving your animals on a, a frequent basis, to going completely grass-fed, uh, as they call it. I, it grass is a little mis- misnomer because there's lots of other things in that forage, but um, removing all the grain supplements, you know, especially at the end of the animal's um, life, sup- topping it up with grain you know, to, to get to the final market weight. Um, is often a, a practice, and it's it's sort of the last fine tuning of your craft to get to the point where you can manage your forages to provide that weight gain um, rather than using grain. and And that's my goal. I'm not there yet, um, but given the difficulty at getting in getting organic grain where I live, you have to buy it by the pallet. Uh, there's always something that snarls up with the shipping, um, you know, and it's a chunk, a significant chunk of change, you know, at one fell swoop. And so the more that I don't have to rely on that shipment, uh, the more resilient I'm going to be as a business. And, um, so I'm, I'm just, I continue to fence out (laughs) and add additional paddocks. And, um, that allows me to really tweak, to, um, tweak the rotation, and um, it just gets better and better. And the the pork is phenomenal. <laughs> so you know, your your payoff <laughs> your payoff in those cover crops is in um, really phenomenal food. And is the flavor more the yeah, texture? Yeah. yeah, texture, flavor, both for sure. Um, you can just really taste taste the difference. You know, and you just think about the those pigs eating just all this lush green, all the minerals and all of the forbs that are in the field. Um, and, uh, as well as the grasses and, and that just shows up in the meat. It's, it's really incredible. Yeah. Really vibrant, vibrant, um, food source. Claire, mm-hmm. what are some resources you found helpful in your research? Are there? Yeah. I, um, books or yeah, websites? like I, yeah, the, like I said, there's, there's not as much written about pigs. Um, but I did tap uh, a lot of training through the Midwest Organic and Sustainable Education Service in their in their university sessions around rotational grazing. So just to learn the basic concepts of that um, for all animals. For all animals, and the one that I attended was particularly geared towards cattle and sheep. But there's sheep specific ones. There's grazers associations um, everywhere, and those folks know a lot. Um, and and those more nuanced details that I talked about, you know, it. I, I was talking to one grazer, and it was you know the way his cow's um, hair was lying across the hips that told him if there was a particular mineral deficiency. And um, I was like, wow, you know, and I happen to have furry pigs. So I'm always kind of looking at, you know, (laughs) what's going on with their their coats too. The other aspect is just the cover crop side. And there's some great cover crops uh, manuals out there. You can avail avail yourself of those and they're free. Uh, For example, there's a cover crops book that's put out by Sarah. Um, That's a good one. That's an excellent one. So even just to get um, a list, a laundry list of what's possible in terms of clovers and grasses. Um, And then the other thread that I've been tapping is um, restoration writing. 
So for my area, what are the what are the perennial flowers that grow in meadows in a wet meadow where I am? Um, and and adding some of those plants back in because they're adding a mineral profile that isn't uh, isn't the same as um, a, a, a typical agricultural clover that you might see into your field. So. Um, and, and I would also say, you know, experimentation, <laughs> but, yeah. um, you know, for example, um, well, I'll get back to that story. Other resources, um, would also be, there's a cover crops of the Northeast by Marianne Sarantonio. Um, and it, a lot of the, uh, plants represented in that book also work here in the Midwest, um, clovers and, and, um, other crops. But the nice thing about that book is it, it goes into great detail about how much biomass the, those crops produce. Um, and nutrient profile, um, growth habits. And when you're trying to put together a mix of species, you know, that's really helpful to just sort of start there theoretically. It's all going to look different on the ground when you get it going, but at least you have started from someplace of research. Yeah. So, you know, when you get back to experimenting out in, in your own fields, just observing your own farm. So when I tilled up the land that became my orchard, my farm had not been in production for probably 70 years as a farm, seven zero, seven zero. Um, I tilled up this land, and I had this whole flush of um, alfalfa that just the seed was in there for that long. Wow. I didn't put it there, and uh, it all bloomed, and it's been there ever since. And um, what's interesting about that is alfalfa doesn't particularly like wet, heavy soils, but for whatever reason that when they plant they planted it maybe not even knowing that you know 100 years ago and that seed bank is still there and so uh learning from that i you know invested in some alfalfa seed and you know and putting it in different places and and ignoring all of the advice about what soil type it likes and um um by the way it's also an incredible pollinator plant too so um thinking about double dipping with the with the pasture cover crops for your forage and thinking about how that's also helping pollinators and um, sink carbon in the soil and those kinds of things. There's lots of things um, that you can add on to that mix. And not be afraid. And not see. be afraid. <laughs> yeah. This is one of those things where, you know, more is better and you'll see what works out over a couple of years and different rotational, you know, as you're moving the animals, different use patterns, as as you're moving them through the system um, you'll be able to start to see, you know, what works well and what tolerances you have and how, you know, how many weeks you need to um, let it rest um, or if it's the whole season, you need to let it rest after they're through there once. You know, that, those are things you learn on the ground after you've done some legwork ahead of time. But um, I do recommend talking to other farmers, especially in your area, um, because they will know, they will have a lot of information already um, that they've they've worked with, even if they're not necessarily rotationally grazing animals, and if they just have uh, hay fields, um, which are you know broader broader fencing structures, um, they'll still know a lot that you can pick up on. I've also just poured over thing you know seed catalogs for cover <laughs> crops, you know, just to get uh, ideas for the next the next thing to try out. And I love the concept that I'm just building a salad bar for my pigs. Oh, I love that. <laughs> they are happy pigs and appreciative, I am sure. Terrific. <laughs> Thank you so much, Claire. Thanks for listening to our In Her Boots podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Kiverest, with the Moses In Her Boots project. This episode's audio engineer was Liam Kiverest of TechSocket.net. The podcast was brought to you by the Midwest Organic and Sustainable Education Service, Moses. 
The mission of Moses is to educate, inspire, and empower farmers to thrive in a sustainable, organic system of agriculture. For more information on Moses, in her boots, and a bounty of organic resources, check out mosesorganic.org.